You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. We are, we're so blessed to be able to do this. So I am Ryan. Um, I am the worship director here. Every once in a while, though, we create some space for me to be able to come and to bring the word. And so I'm honored to bring the word this morning. And uh, my style in the past has accurately been described as trying to take a drink out of a fire hydrant. Um, So what I'm going to try to do this morning is I'm going to try to slow down. I'm going to try to uh, uh, make it digestible. But I also need you guys to know that you need to buckle your seatbelts because this parable that we're about to go through is chock full of wisdom and riches for us to live our lives. And so it's going to be a good ride. That's right. That's right. I appreciate that. Also, in that vein, in that vein, I am a hollaback kind of preacher, okay? I like it when you talk back to me, okay? That makes me feel loved. So I know some of us here are from maybe more um, conservative denominations where you're not used to that. That's totally fine. Do you, be you. If you are one of those people like me, you are hype as hype can be. Go ahead and let it rip, okay? Yes, come on. I like that. I like that energy. The more you talk back to me, the shorter I'm going to preach. I'm going to cut for every comment. I'm going to cut my sermon by a minute. So now we're at two hours and 59 minutes. So we're, we're doing great. I'm joking. That's totally a joke. Uh, Hey, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn your Bible to Luke chapter 18. Uh, We're going to be in verses 9 through 14. And as you guys are finding that, uh, I just want to to highlight. So we're in the middle of our series. It's called the Frame Series, where we're going through the parables of Jesus. Now, there are a lot of parables. We only chose about six or seven of them. Uh, But we're in this series on parables where Jesus is basically giving us stories. He's giving us metaphors, basically houses that we're invited to live in to view the world through, right? And what these parables show us, what these, what these stories show us is that Jesus speaks our language. Jesus knows exactly where we're at. Jesus understands that sometimes we don't always get it. Sometimes we need to hear something in a different way. And this is Jesus. These parables are Jesus asserting himself as the supreme storyteller and as the master theologian, right? Jesus is trying to frame our understanding of God, his character, and his nature. So week one, we talked about the parable of the sower, which was ultimately a challenge for us to be soft-hearted listeners to God's word and ultimately doers as well. But the challenge for us a lot of times is to listen and to listen with a heart that is receptive to the message that's coming in. All right. Week two, we talked about the parable of the dishonest manager, kind of some trickier waters to navigate there. I think Adam did a great job. Uh, But it ultimately challenged us to be wise stewards of God's resources, his money, and to live lives marked by generosity. This week is week three. And we are in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, for the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, all right? Now, this parable is simultaneously a parable of hope, and it's also a parable of warning about pride, okay? So we're going to go ahead and read this. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to be reading from the ESV, if you are curious about said things, such things, and uh, we're going to hop in. So this is Jesus talking. He says, It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. 
I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Mm. Let's pray. Jesus, help. (laughs) Because pride is such a deep human problem, and each of us find ourselves with pride in our hearts. We ask that you would work in our hearts, change us, and transform us. In your name, amen. Amen. Awesome. So before we dive in a little bit deeper, I want to make sure that we're on the same page about what we're talking about when we use the word pride, right? Merriam-Webster had a couple different definitions, actually a few different definitions, and so we're going to go through a couple of them just to make sure that we're all tracking, that we're all on the same page, to make sure that we're all seeing eye to eye here, all right? So the first definition, and they can put this on the screen, is this, when people say pride, is this this idea of a reasonable self-esteem, all right? This is when you have like a good sense of yourself and, and a good sense of how you fit into the world. And this is actually really healthy. This is actually good. This is not a bad sense of pride, right? This is just the idea of like, you know who you are. You've got a, a level of confidence about you that's not obnoxious or anything like that. The second definition, when, when you hear someone use the word pride or they say that they're proud, is this idea of deep pleasure or satisfaction in someone that is seen as a source of honor or respect, all right? So this is like when, uh, you know, when your dad or your mom would tell you, like, hey, I'm proud of you, or if a coach said, hey, I'm proud of you, or if you take pride in your work, right? That's actually a good thing. That's a good thing. That's like when you've done a good job and you're like, man, I, I take pride in what I just did. My wife and I just found out that our, our, our oldest son, has a pretty rare uh, neurological disorder, um, genetic disorder rather. And, uh, and so for us, we've been kind of just, I've been kind of overwhelmed by just how proud I am of my son because he's such a fighter. He's been fighting since the day he was born and we just found out all of the ways that he's been pushing through. So as I was reading this, I just kept thinking like, yeah, that, that number two definition, that's us right now. We are so proud of our boy, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Now, for the purposes of this, this message today, we are going to be honing in on this last one, all right? And this definition of pride is the pride that Jesus is addressing in this parable, in this story, in this metaphor. This is arrogance or conceit. This is when you feel like you poop and it doesn't stink. This is when you think that you are God's gift to mankind. This is when you show up and you're always trying to size up everybody else to see who you're better than because you just like to, you like to feel that, that kind of sense of superiority, all right? This is what Jesus is honing in on in this parable. So <laughs> a couple years ago, uh, right as the, the pandemic was raging uh, all around the world, I was, uh, my wife and I were still living in Gainesville. I was actually the college pastor of a group at, uh, at University of Florida called uh, Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship. And uh, yeah, oh, come on, come on, Gators. That's what I'm talking about. I like that. That's right. That's right. Get them. Get them. All right. So <laughs> I was the college pastor of this group. And, uh, you know, they shut down everything. You know, this was in the, in the beginnings of COVID when we were we weren't sure about anything. We thought if you read the word COVID online, you were going to get COVID, all right? So we didn't have very good information. And it was about four or five months in. So we're, we're finally getting to the point where, you know, uh, restaurants are opening back up. 
me and my staff were getting ready to meet together, and we're about to walk into this um, this little breakfast cafe um, called Kiki's, and I, you know, was about to put my mask on, and uh, and so anyway, I walk in, and as I'm walking in, I notice that the place doesn't smell good, and to be fair, this happens sometimes. Like sometimes restaurants use dirty mop water. Sometimes there's just something, you know, someone drops something under a table that no one caught, and it's just kind of festering. So I was like, oh, it's so weird. And so anyway, they, you know, they take me to um, the people that I'm supposed to be hanging out with uh, because I was late, as usual. And, uh, and so I get there, and I'm like, hey, you know, they're like, hey, how's it going? I was like, do you guys smell that? And they were like, oh, no, so smell what? I was like, something smells foul. And they were like, okay, um, I'm not smelling it, but maybe it's because we have our masks on. Everybody was masked at the time. Again, it was early COVID, so we just, you know, we thought you could, you could look at somebody and they'd die from COVID. So, so anyway, so we're talking, and... and about a minute goes by, and I, if you don't know me, I am quite possibly the most dramatic human being that God ever created, and so I was trying to play it cool, and I'm just sitting there like, yeah, okay, uh-huh, 100%, trying to hear how you guys, do you guys, do you guys smell that? And they were like, no, I, Ryan, I just don't smell this. And so I, again, I'm taking a risk here because it's early COVID, I pull my mask off, and I'm like, yo, something smells foul. As I pull my mask off, the smell kind of just dissipates a little bit, but I'm like, yo, it's, I'm telling you, something's off, bro. Something's off. It's like another minute goes by, and I'm, again, trying to, be, trying to be a good leader here, and I'm like, yo, something smells awful. Something is dying in this restaurant, and we got, I need you guys to help me figure it out. And so they're like, Ryan, we don't smell anything. And so I'm like, okay, so I take my mask off, and the smell dissipates, and I'm like, okay. Okay, so I put my mask back on, the smell returns. And it's, it's then that I realized the restaurant was not the problem. I was not used to wearing masks, and I didn't know that when you wear a mask, it reflects your breath back into your nose. All the way back. That stomach-curdling smell that I was smelling was not the restaurant. It was your boy's breath, B-R-E-F. And that's what you call, when breath is bad, you call it breath. And let me tell you, my breath that day was so stank. It was so nasty. And I was so upset with this restaurant. I was like, these nasty people got people walking up in their restaurant. I was judging this restaurant so hard. I was like, how dare you have me come up in your restaurant? And it smells like this. (laughs) Some of you are like, hey, so did you tell them what was going on? Oh, absolutely not. I was like... You know what? Praise God. The whole, miraculously, the smell went away. <laughs> Till this day, they still don't know. So hopefully they, they won't watch this sermon to find out <laughs> what that was about. <laughs> but I say all that to say, pride is like bad breath. It will have you out in these streets judging the world around you for your own stankness when it's really just you. Pride blinds us to our own stench. It makes us esteem ourselves higher than we should when we're actually the problem. (laughs) I will. Come on. Amen. I appreciate that. See, this parable warns us that the right thing with the wrong heart is wrong. The right thing with the wrong heart is wrong. I got to tell us this morning, we as a church, this, this parable is written for the entire world, but this is written in a religious context with people who are so used to doing all the right things. Beware the seduction of doing the right things on the outside. 
in a world that is so preoccupied with the external, with the appearance, with the performance of doing, Jesus subverts our expectations by looking at our hearts, by going to the heart level, by diagnosing what's happening inside of us. Jesus is subverting our expectations. This parable is both a warning and an invitation. If you're a Jesus follower, listen up. If you're here and you're just exploring faith, you're trying to figure it out, I need you to listen up. If you're an atheist, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here, maybe you're just trying to figure it out, I need you to listen up. Because this parable hits deep at the heart of our humanity. Jesus isn't just talking to religious people here. He's addressing our humanity here. This matters to followers of Jesus because we're saying a lot of the right things. We're saying a lot of the right things, but we got bad breath. Our breath is nasty. And it keeps people from hearing the good news when they get a whiff of our moral superiority. Mm. This matters to any human in any place in life with any religious conviction or lack thereof because the right thing with the wrong heart is still wrong. See, right actions don't always lead to a right heart, but a right heart will always lead to right actions. I'm going to say that again. Right actions don't always lead to a right heart, but a right heart will always lead to right actions. If you're here and you're like, hey, so what am I supposed to take away from today? There's a couple things. But get the right heart. And the right actions are definitely going to follow. But if you just try to mimic the right actions without first understanding the heart of God, you might wind off meandering off into some, some, some area that you're not meant to be. I want us to make sure that we're understanding God's heart here, especially as it pertains to pride. Here's what C.S. Lewis has to say about pride one of my favorite books, it's called Mere Christianity. It's a pretty long quote. If you're the sort of person who likes great quotes, I'm just going to tell you now, this one is a banger. So take out your phone, take a picture now, because we're going to keep moving. <laughs> All right, so this is C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He says, there is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad-tempered, or that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drink, or even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who was not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others." The vice that I am talking of is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. You may remember when I was talking about sexual morality, I warned you that the center of Christian morals did not lie there. Well, now we have come to the center. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Whew. Let that sink in for a second. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. C.S. Lewis is actually not pulling this out of thin air a lot of the early church fathers and a lot of the reformers echoed these sentiments. He's just kind of repackaging them. St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas all said things like this. Martin Luther and John Calvin all felt similarly in terms of pride. 
Pride is an existential threat to communion and relationship with God. It sets itself to oppose him. See, if we miss what Jesus is trying to tell us here, then we risk running ourselves to death on the hamster wheel of morality and never hitting the deeper issue of our hearts. If we miss what Jesus is trying to tell us here, then we risk breathing out the good news of God with nasty breath that turns people away from the kingdom because of our own stench. Some of us actually love the idea of God as our friend, but we hate the idea of God as our Lord, as someone who gets to make the decisions, as someone who's, who we check in with when we're making big decisions because of the same thing that booted Lucifer from heaven, because of our pride. We love the idea of having someone to walk alongside of us, but we hate the idea of having someone who sits above us because of pride. Don't miss what Jesus is saying here. See, the brilliance of what Jesus is doing here is that he's giving us a solution to our pride problem at the same time that he's warning us about it, all right? And so the big idea of this parable, the big idea of this story, and truthfully, the big idea of this sermon, this whole thing comes down to this. And here it is. If you're a note taker, this is where you want to let that pencil fly. Thinking of ourselves in light of God will lead us to humility, but thinking of ourselves in light of anyone else will lead us to pride. Okay? I'm going to say it again. Thinking of ourselves in light of God will lead us to humility. Thinking of ourselves in light of anyone else will lead us to pride. Considering ourselves, comparing ourselves, esteeming ourselves in comparison to God we're going to end up in a great place. We're going to be led to life. We're going to be led to humility. But thinking of ourselves, esteeming ourselves, comparing ourselves to anyone else is going to lead us to pride, and that's going to lead us to death. It's actually a very human inclination to compare ourselves to something or to someone, right? We're going to compare ourselves to someone. The question is, are we going to compare ourselves to the right thing or to the right one? And this is why Jesus is pointing out here that Our goal is to learn to stop the rat race of looking at everyone around you and trying to figure out who's better and who measures up and to look straight to the source because therein we're going to find real humility. Pride is giving ourselves the credit for something that God has accomplished. Pride is taking the glory that belongs to God alone and keeping it for ourselves. (laughs) Pride supplants God on the throne and puts ourselves, our goodness, and our will in his place. So let's jump back into this passage. Let's unpack this a little bit, and let's figure out how Jesus is giving us the cure through this passage. Let's hop back into verse 9 and and 10 really quick, and they're going to put this on the screen, and we're going to read this. So this is uh, where Jesus says, it says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So I want to make sure that we have the context for this in, in this story because Jesus is a master to- storyteller here. And I want to make sure that we understand the main characters in this story. We've got a Pharisee on one hand, and we've got a tax collector in the other. Now, I know a lot of us were, were kind of raised around some sort of religious upbringing, and so maybe we hear the Pharisees, and we understand that ultimately they're the villains in the story. But this is actually really, this is, this is not normal for the context that he's coming up in. So just so we're all aware, the Jews had been conquered by the Roman Empire, and they were basically in captivity under the Romans. They were being oppressed by the Romans, right? And so, as you can imagine, there were a bunch of things that came with that. The reality that you're under someone else's rule means that you're tempted to lose your own identity. 
And so in the midst of that, you have these Pharisees, these religious leaders. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of their day who come about and they say, hey, don't lose your cultural identity. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget the God that you belong to. And the Bible tells us, Jesus actually tells us, the Pharisees were saying all of the right things. They were saying a lot of the right things a lot of times. And they were actually, if you were a Jew, you would look to the Pharisees and you'd, you, they'd kind of be the hero of the story for you because you're under captivity, you're under oppression, and you're trying to just remember who you are. You're trying to keep hope alive that one day the Savior is going to come, Messiah is going to come, and he's going to deliver you. And so if you're in this context, you hear the Pharisees and you're like, yeah, actually, those are my guys right there. Yeah, they're, 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 they're pushing back against the oppression. They're helping us remember who they are, right? They were working within the system. But it's, it's kind of funny that Jesus does what he does here because he's essentially setting up what we would consider as the heroes of the story as the villains of his. And that's wild, right? I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to kind of highlight for us this parallel. I think a lot of times, especially in organized church, you know, we lament that young people are turning away from what we what we hear as turning away from the faith that people don't want to come into church that people are 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 uh, hesitant to consider Christianity when they're thinking about uh, their their what they're going to hold as their religious convictions and I gotta say I think some of that might have to do with the ways that we jump behind certain people that we champion as heroes when their hearts don't really reflect the kingdom of God and I pray that you hear this with the grace that I'm trying to communicate it with. I'm not even going to go into a lot of detail. You know, I'm going to just leave that there. But I just want to encourage us. Sometimes the people that seem like the hero of the stories are actually not the heroes. Sometimes they're the villains. And I feel like Jesus is actually kind of showing us that we need to have a sharper level of discernment when we're championing people, when we're championing movements, when we're seeing what people are about. It's not just about what people say. It's about the heart that they have. And I'm praying that as disciples of Jesus that we're going to have more understanding, more discernment to be able to say, hey, I think that person's saying a lot of the right things like this Pharisee in this parable, but I don't think their heart's in the right place. I don't think their heart is connecting with God. That's, I'm going to leave that there. I'm gonna, you, you guys go home with that. Go home with that. That's good. I'm going to let that sink in. <laughs> so we've got this Pharisee, the religious leader, and then we've got the tax collector, right? Now, if you were here when I talked about Zacchaeus, we're going to retread some old ground. Go ahead and just put a pin in that and just bear with me for a second while we retread this, right? But tax collectors were essentially hated in Jewish culture. We've already established that the Jews were under Roman captivity. The Jews were under oppression. And so naturally, the Roman Empire required taxes. They required tributes uh, to keep the empire flowing. So Every person in, under the Roman Empire had to pay taxes. Now, if, uh, if, uh, uh, if somebody under their captivity wanted to, uh, to collect taxes, all they had to do was purchase a tax franchise from Rome, and Rome would just say, hey, give, give us this minimum required payment. So whatever it was, 10%, 15%, who knows what it was, right? But they would say, hey, give us, give us the minimum that we require, and we won't bother you about anything else. So this was very poorly regulated. What wound up happening is that there were a bunch of Jews who were like, we're in a bad situation. You know, inflation is crazy. The gas is super high. I'm joking. That's us. But we're in a bad situation. And you know what? It's hard out here in these streets. What I want to do is I'm going to buy a tax franchise from Rome. 
And basically what they would do is they would make sure that Rome got the kickback that they wanted and they could take as much as they wanted because it was so poorly regulated. So what happened is you had these people who were in this dire situation that then looked and saw that a bunch of their own countrymen, a bunch of their brothers and their sisters were literally selling them out to the Romans. And it made them hate tax collectors. There are some scholars that, that believe that the average tax burden for, uh, for Jews in this time was about 30 to 40% of their income. And we're not talking about, we're not talking about um, a robust social program here. We're just talking about to be able to use roads and to conduct business, you were getting taxed 30 to 40%. That is infuriating. I'm going to tell you right now, that's frustrating. And so tax collectors, because it wasn't even legitimate taxes, these are people who are just literally stealing from people, from widows, from people who are, who are, who are in a rough spot. People hated tax collectors. It's almost like how we would view child abusers in our time. That's, that's the sort of social standing that tax collectors had. They were unequivocally the villains of the story. And so it's in this context that we hop back into this passage. The, the religious leader who's supposed to be the hero and these awful, nasty, cheating, terrible people, the tax collectors. So let's go to verse 11 as we finish this. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. We can go to that next slide as well. And it says, But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. <laughs> This is a twist ending. <laughs> this is like if you guys have ever seen The Sixth Sense, you know, or it's like, oh, my gosh, he was dead the whole time. This is Jesus right here. Jesus is like, hey, by the way, the person that you're rooting for is actually the villain of the story. This is a twist. Jesus is pitting the archetypal hero against the clear villain, and the villain is the one that goes away with the restored relationship with God. This is revolutionary. This is crazy. Anybody sitting there and listening to this story is scratching their heads right now. If you've ever read the Bible and been like, why did people hate Jesus? This right here is the exact reason why. Because Jesus is taking shots at the religious leaders of the time, all right? This is like real housewives of Jerusalem type stuff. This is like some petty, shady stuff. Like if you're one of the religious leaders and then you have this rabbi coming in and he's like, hey, you got to watch out for those guys. It would be like, it would be like if I walked in here and I said, the elders of New Covenant Church are a brood of vipers. They are like nasty snakes. You would be like, what happened before you got here? It'd be like if I walked up here and I said, the senior pastor of New Covenant Church is a whitewashed tomb. Pretty on the outside, but a rotting corpse on the inside. Some of y'all would be ready to fight me, and you'd be well within your right to do so. Now, I'm going to let you know I'm a little fluffier than I used to be. But I'm still spry, so you're going to have a good fight on your hands, all right? But you'd be well within your right to be upset because you, I'm taking your heroes and I'm, I'm casting them in a light that you're not used to. This is how Jesus is setting up his story. This is a twist ending. See, the attitude of this Pharisee tells us this. God offers us justification, but what we crave in our hearts is superiority. 
God offers to make us right with him, and what we want is to feel like we're better than other people. See, justification means you have been absolved of all charges. Justification means your case has been settled in court. Justification means your debt has been cleared, and them creditors that be calling your phone every four hours on the hour, they lost your number somehow. Somebody say hallelujah. That's a good news. That, listen, that's why, go, buy a Google phone. You can block them, y'all. It's so beautiful. All the Apple haters and the, bless them, Lord. Bless the Apple haters. <laughs> Justification means you're free in the eyes of the law. The thing we need most is a restored relationship with God. But what we want is to feel like we're better than other people. And it's a revelation of the type of depravity that sits in our heart. See, this Pharisee, this religious leader is bragging about the good and righteous things that he's done. But the Bible qualifies all of our righteousness as filthy rags. Basically, it's like, like menstrual cloths compared to the absolute holiness, beauty, splendor, majesty, love, mercy of God. Anything that we can produce pales in comparison. It's like if you've ever had a Belgian waffle. I'm talking about a good Belgian waffle. And then someone says, hey, man, I made this ego. I'm like, get that ego waffle out of here. That thing does not compare to the glory. You know, that's actually a bad example. But... If you're a foodie, if you're a foodie, you get it, okay? I'm going to leave that there. You guys, take that home. You guys can think about that one, all right? (laughs) Comparing ourselves to God will lead us to humility. Comparing ourselves to anyone else will lead us to pride. This Pharisee doesn't understand that the power to save is not in the acts themselves. It's in the one who changes the heart to produce the acts, It's not in the things that you do. If you go out of here with anything else, listen to me. What we are not asking you to do is to come to church and be more moral. Bump that. What we are asking you to do is to submit your heart to the king who created it so that you can be more like him. Please hear this. This is not us saying, hey, you need to try hard. You need to do better. And to be fair, some amount of this is doing better, but we get the order so wrong. We think that to come to God, I hear this all the time. Somebody's like, man, I, re- I feel like I really need to get my life together. And I'm like, bro, you should come, come, come and fellowship with us. Come and hang out with us. We're all broken. We're all in need of the grace of God. And they're like, I got to get my life together first. Huh? What? Are you serious? It's like, <laughs> It's like Adam says this all the time. It's like he, he, he's CrossFit. He's one of those CrossFit guys flipping tires and grunting and stuff. I don't know what they do. but And he'll talk to people all the time who are like, bro, man, you're in such good shape, bro. Like, I want to get back in shape, bro. And he's like, come to the gym. And they're always like, I got to get in shape first. Okay? What? Did you, do you not understand the order of how this works? The acts come second. The heart comes first. Please hear me when I say this. If you get nothing else today, I pray that you set an appointment with the God of the universe to get your heart right. And I guarantee you that everything else is going to fall into place. Do not mess the order up. Do we want you to do good things? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I pray that the Lord would move you to do all those things. But I pray that he moves you first. Because if you don't get that order right, I guarantee you that at some point you're going to start to feel like, yeah, I'm not like these other people. I'm not like these adulterers, these these extorters. I'm not like this tax collector over there. And Jesus is giving us the answer as he's diagnosing the problem. I'm totally out of sequence with my notes. (laughs) Any comparison outside of God 
is a trap that is going to lead us to arrogance and pride. Any comparison outside of God. Now, there are two, there, there's, there's like a socially acceptable version of pride within church context, and there's a socially unacceptable form of pride within church context. And I, I'm going to delineate this a little bit. So, the socially unacceptable version acceptable version of pride is kind of what we've been talking about here. It's almost like, I don't know if any of you guys saw this, but Kanye West, uh, years ago, I'm not going to go into anything that he did recently. Don't even worry, guys. When Kanye West dropped his Jesus is King album and like everybody in Christendom was like, oh my gosh, he's completely transformed. I was like, wait for it. Wait for it. Anyway, he dropped his Jesus is King, <laughs> he dropped his Jesus is King album. I'm not trying to kick him while he's down, I promise. Uh, he dropped his Jesus' King album, and it was legitimately an encouraging piece of music for a lot of people within the faith. And there's some, I mean, there are some bangers on the album. And I remember Joel Osteen invited him to come to Lakewood Church and to just share his testimony. And I was really curious, so I, I listened and I watched. And, you know, he's telling, like, yeah, you know, the devil's been trying to distract me. I'm like, okay, cool, 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 good. I'm tracking all with you. And then at some point he says, God now has the greatest artist that he's ever created back with him. I was like, no. Kanye, no, right? And I, I just remember, <laughs> even Joel Osteen did this like, <laughs> kind of face. And, and that's kind of, when we're talking about socially unacceptable pride in church circles, that's the kind of socially unacceptable pride, right? That's the pride where you're just like, okay, shut it down. Quiet it up. D don't do that anymore, right? But there is, there is a more socially acceptable form of pride in church circles, right? It's this thing that happens when, we are very aware of our limitations and the things that trip us up. And God gives us a command. God gives us a call. God tells us to go do something, to, to love someone, to be a part of something, to serve, to step up. And what we do is we try to argue him down because he must clearly not understand what he's working with. Oh, Lord, there's no way I could do that. This person is so much better. They've got so much more experience than me. You, you clearly weren't talking to me. Or man, God, I just, you know, I just, I just don't feel like doing that. I just, you know, I just don't feel like I'm in a good spot to do that. And the pride comes in because we're elevating our sense of ourself over his sense of who he created us to be. And I wanted to address that here because I feel like in the last six months, I've talked to so many people like myself. This is me. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. Some of us have been told some really evil things in our lives. Some of us have had our conception of ourselves lowered in a way that was not in line with God's word and his will. And so now when we're in a space like this, we naturally will just take ourselves down pegs that God never agreed with. And, and I want to challenge us, if you're here and God has called you to do something, it's not him that doesn't understand your capacity, it's you. When God says something, it's going to be done. When God calls you to something, he's very aware of your limitations. He knows your past. He knows your history. When the Lord has decreed it, let me tell you, when a king says something, that thing gets done. And when the king of the universe, when the king of the, your heart declares something over you, I would challenge you, instead of fighting back with words and with, with your logic and with all the limitations, I dare you to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to abandon my pride and I'm going to say yes to you because you know better. I just dare you this morning. Amen. Amen. Yeah. 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 Comparing ourselves to God will lead us to humility. Comparing ourselves to anyone else will lead us to pride. See, this tax collector 
understands God's character and his holiness, he's repentant. He recognizes his incomplete capacity to measure up and receives mercy. You get a sense in some of those later verses of the genuine agony that he's expressing as he's thinking about God's greatness and as he's recognizing that he doesn't measure up. See, the danger, the seduction of doing all the right things and attributing it to our own morality is that we go from being under the grace of God to thinking that we should just, because we're so good, we should get what we deserve. And I want to caution everyone here, never get to the place where you're like, you know what, I deserve, I, I want what I deserve from the Lord. And I think in, there are some ways that we, we wouldn't say that we do that. We wouldn't say that we get to that place. But I've been there too. Like you're in a good season and then things start to shift. Maybe you start feeling sick. Maybe something happens in your family. Maybe the money dries up. Maybe there's a hardship. Maybe there's a, there, there's a moment where things get really difficult and you're like, I am so angry. And, and to be fair, it's, with God, there's total freedom to bring your emotions, your genuine emotions. But I found myself in seasons of hardship coming to God with a sense of entitlement. God, how dare you? I pray. I fast. I'm not like these other people. I'm out serving you. I deserve good things from you. I deserve to get what's coming to me. The problem is that is with that is that we have now removed ourselves from the reign of God's grace and put ourselves back under the reign of karma, back under the idea of the law of sowing and reaping, right? I know this word karma is not a word that we use in Christian circles, right? But it's the same principle just in different echoed all throughout the world. It's this, this thing that the Bible talks about. It says the law of sowing and reaping, the, 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 the thing that you put out is going to come back to you. You know, it's this, this idea that is almost echoed in every religion in the world. The thing that separates our Jesus from every other religion in the world is that in every other religion, you got to work really hard to get yourself together. You got you to gotta work really hard to make sure that at the end of the day, your bad deeds don't outweigh your good deeds, Right? In, in every other religion in the world, you got to work and work and work and run yourself to death on the hamster wheel. And with Jesus, Jesus says, hey, I have done everything right so that you don't have to. I know that you've blown it. I know that you can't do it. I know that you can't measure up. I measured up and you can have my record now. And I feel like the danger in consistently doing the right things, the danger in being a Christian for 30, 40, 50, 15, 12, 10, three years is that at some point you start to feel like, you know what? I got this. I, I'm a, I think I'm a really, really good person. And I think we neglect the, the ways that we are deficient. I think we forget where Jesus found us. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember where you were when Jesus found you, but I remember where Jesus was when, where I was when Jesus found me. And it was not pretty. And there's this weird way that we can submit ourselves back under this system of karma when we are supposed to be uh, daughters and sons of grace. And I want to encourage us this morning, I want to encourage you to remember the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. I want to encourage you to remember that ultimately you and I don't stack up. And I'm not saying this to, to lower our sense of self. This is not that at all. I'm saying this to keep in check the religious leader in our own heart. Because each of us have a Pharisee sitting, waiting to come out of us. Each of us has a Pharisee sitting, waiting to judge the people around us. I'm saying this so that hopefully we can tap into the reality that we each 
Every last one of us here have fallen short of the grace of God. Romans 3.23 says that everyone has fallen short of the, uh, of the glory of God, that everybody has sinned. And as a result of that, we have all incurred the wrath of God. We deserve the justice, the judgment of God. But the beautiful thing, the good news, is that Jesus bore our punishments. He was the sacrifice for our sins. He took what we deserve so that we could get what he deserved. And that's really good news. I don't know about you, but I am constantly aware of the ways that I am not doing the right thing. <laughs> I'm constantly aware of the ways that my heart is not right. And the beautiful thing that we see in this passage is that when we recognize our sinfulness, when we, when we stay in touch with the fact that we're deficient, when we realize that we don't measure up, God's grace can come in and he can meet us where we're at. So I'm going to wrap up here. Worship team, you can go ahead and make your way back to the stage. So what, is this, what does this look like? How do, we, how do we do this? How do we learn to compare ourselves to God so that it leads us to humility and stop comparing ourselves to everyone else so that it won't lead us to pride? There are a couple things that I think we need to do. The first thing is that we need to learn, just like the tax collector learned in this parable, we need to learn to look to God alone, okay? We got to learn to look to God alone. This means that we recognize that goodness and morality, that doing all the right things, those things are merely signposts that are pointing us towards the ultimate destination, which is relationship with God. And I think a lot of times, because we're in these circles, we think that the whole point of all of this is to just do all the right things. No, no, no. It'd be like, it'd be like if you took a, a three-hour journey, three and a half hours maybe, to go to Disney World. Any Disney World fans in here? Disney World fans? Okay. Or Islands of Adventure or whatever. Anyway, just imagine your favorite place. So it'd be like if you drove three hours and you pulled into Orlando and you saw a sign that said Disney World left and you were like, oh my gosh, this is incredible, and then drove back three hours to go home. It's just a sign. You haven't gotten there yet. And I need us to remember this. Every good deed that you do is just a signpost. Every ounce of morality that we're ascribing to is just a signpost. All of the good things, all the good deeds, it's just a signpost to hopefully get you to the ultimate destination. Church, please hear me when I say this. Don't get stuck at the signpost. Go all the way. Get to the destination. Find Jesus. Go all in. Oh, he's so worth it. Look to God alone. Don't get caught in the, in the trap of morality. <laughs> His standard is absolute perfection, and any other standard pales by comparison. So this is why we look to God alone. We don't look to anybody else. We look to God alone. He's the one that's worthy. He's the one that's worth it. All right, we look to God alone. Second thing, how do we do this? We look to God alone. We get low. All right? I'm not talking about any 2,000 songs. Don't even do that. I know some of you got saved out of that era. I'm not talking about those songs, okay? We get low. We make ourselves low. We humble ourselves. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, I am the chief of sinners, which is hilarious because Paul, outside of Jesus, historians say outside of Jesus Christ, Paul is probably the second most influential person in all of history, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, right? This guy's got a pedigree. He's like the religious leader of religious leaders. There is no one that kind of matches up with him in terms of pound for pound, in terms of his impact on human history. This guy, this leader of leaders, says, 
I am the chief of sinners. And it's not that there's some false humility here. He's recognizing that compared to God, all of these other things pale in comparison. They're all, they're all just filthy rags in comparison. We humble ourselves. You know, there, there's this idea that when, when, you've been, when you've been what we call in our circles, when, you, when you've been saved for a long time, you get a little bit sadity. <laughs> you know, you get a little bit like, yeah, I'm the stuff. I'm, I'm the baddest. I'm the best. I'm, you know. And I think what God is asking us to do, what Jesus is trying to outline for us to do here is to make ourselves low, to humble ourselves, to be like Paul and to say, I am the chief of sinners. I am so desperately in need of the mercy and grace of God still. So this is what we do. We look to God alone. We get low. And this is the third one. We let God raise us. We let God raise us. 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, Paul says, I boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. There is this strange way that when we humble ourselves, when we get low, when we get out of the way of God's glory, God brings his glory to rest on us. There is this way that Jesus even says it at the end of this parable. He says, those who exalt themselves will be brought low. They'll be humbled. God opposes those people. But those who lower themselves, those who humble themselves, those who are acutely aware of their need for God and they're vocal about it, they're clear about it, they don't try to steal bricks out of his kingdom to build their own little kingdom, those people, God raises them up. God exalts those people. When we look to God alone, when we forcibly get low, the Bible says Jesus is literally giving us the promise here, God is going to raise us up. I got to tell you, some of you guys have been in a spot where you're like, Ryan, I don't think I can get any lower. Friend, family, please hear the promise of Jesus here. God is going to raise you up. That's his character. That's his nature. That's what he does. He is a promise keeper. Let God raise you up. See, the power doesn't rest on us unless we get low. These things are hand in hand. There's a one-to-one relationship. I know it's hard in, in, this, in this scenario because I don't want to be like, hey, there's a magic formula to this. But Jesus is kind of giving us a magic formula here. Hey, get humble and the Lord will raise you up. Don't worry about pleading your own case because if you get low, the Lord will plead your case. You don't have to worry about trying to fight everybody because I promise you, if you're humble, the Lord is going to fight your battles. This is how we apply this. This is what this looks like in our lives. Look to God alone, get low, and let God raise you. Let's pray. Jesus, some some of these words are so staggering. They're so weighty. There's such a sense of how difficult this is for us to do because each of us have pride in our hearts. Each of us are not inclined towards you. In fact, it takes your spirit working in us, working on us to bring us to you. God, we ask that you would do something so beautiful this morning. Do that miraculous thing that you do where you change our hearts and make us like you. In a world that has smelled some bad breath coming off of us, I pray that 
we would be humble and that your power would rest on us as we look towards you alone. I pray that you'd restore the awe back to the gospel. I pray that you'd remind us of where we were when, we, when, when you found us and, and that you'd help us live in light of that. Jesus, we want to be this beautiful bride that you talk about in your word. And so we ask that you would do this in us right now. Lord, for anyone who's here who's like, man, I have a pride problem and I, I don't think I've ever connected with God. I pray that they would hear your voice right now, that they would sense your drawing, your, your, your pulling on them and that they would respond in humility, that they would, they would call out to you and they would find mercy. And I pray that you'd make us a church that lived like this, a church that checks its own breath before it starts to talk, a church that lives in the example of their king. Do this in us, in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you guys can go ahead and stand on your feet. We're about to go back into worship. Church, I want to challenge us. I want to encourage us. This parable is an invitation to us to be like our king. What do you do with a king that has all power, that could have come and split the sky? He could have come and waged war on his enemies. He could have come and blown the place up. He could have done all these things could have come with tons of wealth and wisdom and all this kind of stuff, but he's born in a stinky stable. He lives like each one of us. He experiences the sufferings, the temptations of each of us, and he dies on the cross by the very people that he's trying to save. He's, he allows himself to be murdered by the very people he's trying to save. What do you do with a king like that? The only thing that makes sense is to follow his lead. And I'm praying that each of us, if you call Jesus your Lord, if you call him your Savior, I'm praying that you, that I, that we would just follow his lead. He's already, he's already modeling what this looks like for us. All we have to do is follow him. If you're here and maybe you've never connected with God, maybe you're like, yo, I, I've, I've never even considered Jesus as an option. But today I, I realize that I'm just in that, I'm in that place of need. I need to connect with him. I need my sins forgiven. We're about to worship for a little bit. Our prayer team is going to come up at the end. Adam's going to dismiss us. But if you need prayer, please come. We would love to help you get your relationship with Jesus started. It's not that you need us, but it's also just really helpful to have people who are walking alongside of you in your journey. If you're here and you need prayer for any reason, maybe you're like, Ryan, I'm here and I have loved Jesus for 30 years and I realize I have pride in my heart in a way that's really nasty please come up for prayer at the end. We would love to pray with you. The worship team is going to lead us. Um, but in the meantime, let God soften your heart. And like church, I pray that we would live this out. Go ahead and take it away. And trembles at his voice, and trembles at his voice. Come on, say how great, how great is our God.
with me, how great is our God. Oh, see how great, how great is our God. Age to age. Amen. This is our song. We declare the goodness, the greatness of God, that he is able to take brokenness and bring wholeness out of it. And that's what he does with our lives. That's what we see in this, in this story. God is able to take any and all the situations in your life and turn them for good, to restore. He just, he wants our hearts and he calls us to believe. And so that's the call for you today to believe. <laughs> what is going on here? To believe. There's a group coming down the aisles right now. <laughs> well, this is sweet. Hey, 
Well, thank you. <laughs> this is beautiful. Here, let me see. Thank you, guys. This is so kind. This is... Thought we were done with pastor appreciation stuff. Uh, yeah, it's a quick pick. Well, thank you, all who are involved in this. Hey, church, we are we are here for you. If you need anything, please fill out a connect card digitally, uh, physically. Please uh, let us know how we can serve you, how we can pray for you. Where you are in your journey with Christ, we want to walk alongside of you as much as or as little as you want. And we are uh, excited for just all the things that God is doing. And as we close, um, first of all, thank you, Ryan, for, for serving us. Um, we all need this to hear. Uh, the pride is, is, is great <laughs> in our hearts, and we need God to do a work in us. And as we go, uh, just want to read this scripture over us. This is from the book of Numbers. This is a, a blessing that Moses spoke over his people. And he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's our prayer for you, for all of us, for this church. We love you. Go in peace. We'll see you next week.